Hey, G, what do you not want to see in your garden in March? Hmm. Snow. Bing, 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 bing. That is correct. And that is what I saw this morning. Just a sugar coating, though, and it's all melted now in the afternoon. And we should say snow isn't going to bother your garden this time of year. It melts really fast. It is going to melt. Even my my pansies and violas are fine. I tell people snow's on them at least once every spring. So all good. Get us started. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening, and we really want you to love it, too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the, spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How does your garden grow when it doesn't have snow? Well, honestly, I guess it's growing okay. Uh, it kind of got <laughs> cold last week and I, you know, I'm sort of a wimpy wimp these days. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I just don't want to do anything. It's cold. Nothing's going to happen out there. So other than watering my pansies and violas, I didn't do a lot outside. Tell people how many pansies and violas you bought. Um, <laughs> That's not going to happen. I'm not saying. <laughs> she bought flats and flats. I flats. Those things are kept best kept secret. <laughs> but anyway, before I get into my rest of my garden update, I do want to give a shout out. If anybody's listening that heard me talk about the podcast at the author book fair in at the Clark Pleasant branch of the Johnson County Public Library. Woo woo. Thanks for joining. Welcome. <laughs> now I'll do the rest of my garden update. Okay. What else did you do? Well, my petunia and snapdragon seedlings look amazing, and so do my onion seedlings. So I am actually going to cut my onion seedlings back a little bit, which kind of helps them bulk up the little bulb below, which is what you want. And then I'm going to pot up my petunias and snapdragons. I sewed those sort of just scatter sewed them in a container. So now I'm going to prick them out with my uh, dibby, my my little dibby thing here. Libby, little dibby. My little dibby that we got from Spoken Garden. Um, pot those up and then we'll see. But the big exciting news, Dee. I'm waiting because I can see it on our notes. Well, I put together my Lego wildflower bouquet and put it on Instagram. I think this is the one that people really, really like. It's the prettiest so far. It really is pretty. It's that wildflower one. I kind of want it. But since I still haven't put it together in my bonsai tree, maybe not right now. Maybe for my birthday. I'll ask for it. Well, the bonsai tree, I will say, is the hardest thing to put together. The wildflower bouquet, I would put in the high easy category. And my I showed it to my sister and she thought, oh, I should get that. And then her granddaughter and her can put it together together. Mm-hmm. I can't wait until mine is just a little bit bigger. She brought, I bought her a puzzle for her birthday, uh, a kid puzzle. And she put it together super fast, even though it was too old for her. So she saw a puzzle on my um, table the other night and she goes, Gigi, let's do this. And I said, mm, that one's a thousand pieces. I don't think you're quite ready. <laughs> well, <laughs> she is only three. 
Now, That's now right. Sarah is nine, so she would be able to put together this this Lego and probably oh, yeah. show her grandma how to do it. That sounds good. What about your garden, D? Uh, my garden is in the middle of fault spring. It thinks it's spring, but I keep Faux telling it spring. I keep saying, just wait, wait, little garden. Um, I fed all but two of my two or three of my roses because I ran out of food yesterday. And Heather from Here She Grows, which is a blog, and um, she's also on Instagram, and she's really been concentrating on her Instagram lately. She asked me how many roses I have left, and I think I counted 25 in my head, but that's but it's only like six varieties because after I had rose rosette disease, I really constant. First of all, I took, I mean, not, she said, how many are left after Rose Rosette? And I said, two, only two out of that wow. group. Yeah. I lost 80 out of a hundred. And then over the years, other things got, you know, other things got them too. And then I went back and I decided I was only going to grow some choice David Austin roses. Right. And so I've, I've got like three that I really think are choice. You want to hear what three they are? I do. And we should put a link in the show notes when we get a chance. Tell okay. me. Lady of Shalott. I think it's a wonderful one. Um, Desdemona. Desdemona is the best rose in my garden, period. Okay. Unfortunately, Japanese beetles love it. It's just a great, big, lovely, bushy shrub in kind of a light pinkish white. Lady of Shalott is a pinkish yellow, yellow with pink highlights. And then what is the third one? Oh, uh, Olivia Rose Austin. Olivia Rose Austin is a clear pink. And those are the three best David Austins I have. And they all got food from Mills Rose Magic. That's what I put on them. I, I see and a story coming about, about Lady of Shalott, Desdemona. And what was the last time one? Olivia Rose Austin. That was David Austin's daughter. Olivia Rose. Did they all get together for a tea party? Okay. You can write that on your blog. You're more that style than I am. But um then let's see. So I got everybody fed, got it all put up. And then I garden coached a client, which was really fun. That's my favorite thing to do. I kept a few more things like the hydrangeas. Some hydrangeas, as you know, bloom on new wood, like Annabelle. Yes. So I've been cutting back Annabelle. And what else did I do? Oh, I planted the rest of my tomato seeds. Ooh, I'm not ready yet. Uh, I'm I got that done. And I used those, you know, the the sea monkey jiffy deals that I nobody commented to see how sea monkeys relate to gardening on last week's newsletter I wish they had they they probably chuckled I hope they chuckled and then I also wrote two posts I wrote one that's published about hellebores and one that's getting ready to be published about zinnias and they're new zinnias I'm growing this year that's what I did I was a little busy you were a little busy you were very busy anyway I I'll have to find out if those three roses would grow well in Indiana. I, I can't see why they wouldn't, but we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Should we reach out to our friend, Teresa Byington, and she would know. She would know exactly what roses to grow in Indiana. That's because she and Chris Van Cleve do rose chat, which is very interesting. And if you're a rose geek, I suggest you go to that podcast after you listen to this one. Yeah. So let's put a link to that as well. Okay. All right. I'm going to do a quote and get us going into our flower topic. March brings breezes loud and shrill, stirs the dancing daffodil. 
Sarah Coleridge, 1802 to 1852. Mm. So what is our flower, Dee? She was only... She was only 50 years old. Um, wow. I will tell you, researching a lot of the lost ladies of garden writing, they did not live until their old age, which is hmm. a sign of the times or I don't know. <laughs> or gardeners die early. They do not or die writers. No, none of the above. <laughs> none of the above. Sign of the times. Move on. I don't even, she, she might be just a poet. Okay. So we decided to talk this this week, I almost said month because it is March's birth flower, and that's the daffodil. And um, the daffodil is so important to spring gardens. It is not a great pollinator plant, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> this is one of those that it just doesn't matter. Grow it for yourself, people. Just grow it for yourself. This is sunshine for the person who plugged all those daffodils and all those little bulbs and all those holes back in the fall. And it is your gift for doing all that work. Yes, it is. Now, we can make daffodils really simple or really complicated. So really complicated is if we went to the American Daffodil Society and started down through the list of 13 divisions of daffodils plus the miniatures. But that we'll just we did that a long time ago. We did that way back when, when we were still trying to prove we were smart. Yeah. Leave a link, let people, we, we're not, we're way beyond that now. <laughs> this is more now just a chatty garden clubby kind of podcast. Um, it is the, like we said, it is the March birth flower. And we are also going to link to the Snap Blooms blog, which has got birth flowers and their meanings. And the daffodil represents a lot of neat things like new beginnings, good luck, prosperity, good fortune. So you know what? Daffodil bulbs would be a really good gift. In the fall. In the fall. Well, now you could just buy somebody a little pot of tete-a-tete daffodils because they sell them everywhere right now. In fact, I'm going to turn, if, try not to make any noise, and turn my computer. And can you see the daffodils? I see it. On my, these I are see pink that. cupped daffodils. I didn't know they were going to be pink cupped when I bought this little, it was a little fill your pot basket thing. I don't know, one of those pot filler deals from Lowe's. And Very lovely. It has little tiny grape hyacinths and regular hyacinths. I think there's also a couple of tulips in there, but I'll be surprised if they bloom. Anyway, I just think they're gorgeous. They are. And we're also going to send people to Brent and Becky's bulbs because we know Brent and Becky. They're some, like of the, some of the loveliest people you will ever meet in the plant industry is Brent and Becky and their family. Yes, their whole entire family is wonderful. And you and I have both spent many bus rides with Brent. And Becky. On the road. And Becky too. But I've I've sat with Brent more. And he is just a wealth of information about daffodils. He's a big hybridizer of them. At one, I mean, I don't think he does it as much now. But he really has introduced some serious daffodils to the market. And they're just wonderful. And then they have all kinds of information. And here's the thing. They wrote a book about daffodils. I think it got published in 2001. And I have it. And I do not have it. But I, despite the fact that I have cataloged on my book and I'm just astonished at how many books actually live in this house with me, I feel like I want it too. It did win an award from GardenCom back in 2001 or 2002. 
Mm-hmm. But just a couple of tips we're going to give for people. Because, well, right now with the snow on the ground, people will be all freaked out and say, oh, should I cover my daffodils? What say you? No. No. No is correct. Don't worry about them. And Brent agrees with this. He does? Okay, good. That's good to know. They say if it gets into the teens and you've got your daffodils up, um, first of all, if they're up and they're butted out, I would I would pick them. But um, I would too. You could because they're going to get you could cover them if it's. But when you're down the teens, a covering's not going to raise the temperature that much. I think it just makes you feel better, like you tried to do something. It does, and if it doesn't, and it always goes back to that thing of how long does it stay in the teens. You know, if something, if it just dips down and comes back up, no big deal. It's on those, you know, like if we get one of those freight train, what I don't know what they call them, but it's an Arctic blast. I think they call them Arctic blasty. Oh, there that's probably where I got the idea. I am sleepy today. It is really cloudy here and I can tell I'm sleepy. Anyway, um, an Arctic blast comes down and it just hits the planes and then messes things up for two or three days. Yeah, you might want to cut them and bring them in. Well, and cut versus pick. Now, I saw this. Our good friend, Doug Oster. So you should pick. I know. I, sh- I yeah. shared that on my Instagram story. You go ahead and tell it. Sorry. So Doug Oster, and he learned this from Brent, uh, Brent and Becky's Bulbs was you want to pick as in just pull out the daffodil at the stem and you should see a little plug in the bottom, he said, and Mm -hmm. that will stay longer in the vase. Never cut yours. And I'm like, oh, I am so ashamed. I've been cutting daffodils. Not anymore. I'm picking them. I have always cut daffodils. That was the first time I'd ever heard that. And it makes perfect sense. Um, And you, we were going to talk about that some daffodils naturalize better than others. The best thing you can do for them is plant them in, you can plant them in full sun. Some of mine are in the shade underneath my trees that haven't leafed out yet because they just look good. And I have a lot of trees. I will say that they've done just fine because they get a lot of sun during the summertime. One of the main things is you want it to be dryish in summer, which is not a problem in Oklahoma. And that's because (laughs) they, they don't like a lot of moisture in the summer after they have finished with their leaves. And that's the other best tip we can give people is let them go all the way back to yellowing of the leaves. And you can always tell the foliage falls over. They start to yellow. They look, they're going to look bad before that. So plant some daylilies next to them or hostas to cover them up. <laughs> right. And and they do recommend that you plant them amongst like grasses and other perennials that will soak up this, the moisture in the summertime and sort of starve mm-hmm. the daffodils out. But um yeah. And then some people like to like group the foliage all together and then tie it up into a bun. That all started because of Martha. Yeah. Don't, don't be like Martha. Don't do that. Just let it die naturally is what I do. And enough other stuff should be coming up around it that it sort of hides it. That's my motto. That's the idea. And yeah, it'll look bratty for a few weeks, but it's worth it if you want them to come back the next year. Um, and you, you don't have to deadhead them. Um, but I think they look a little better if you do. I deadhead mine. They look nicer. They don't really, they won't set seed on their own, according to Brent. And so um, you can leave them. Definitely, if you have tulips, you should deadhead tulips because tulips do tend to set seed. You want the energy going to the bulb. And they said on their blog that 
when the daffodil flowers, it kind of forces it to create this daughter bulb. And so if you plant one next year, you have two, then four, (laughs) you can see how it multiplies and how they would naturalize. And some of the the best areas to see daffodils are where somebody's planted them out in a big open area and they've just let them grow naturally. Mm -hmm. And then they just keep growing and growing and growing. So do you dig, dig yours up and divide them ever? I do not. Mm-mm. I never have to divide them. I do. Uh, I dig mine up while they're in the green, so to speak. So mm-hmm. once they flowered, then I dig them up and I move them around, spread them out. And I kind of made two rows back by the vegetable garden, which are sort of my cutting rows. Mm-hmm. But they um, sometimes they get too crowded and then they become what they call blind where they don't bloom. And that's a sure sign. Lift them, divide them, spread them yeah. out in your garden. So far, I haven't had that problem. I as never far have as I either. Can tell, um, maybe there's some place where they're so prolific that that happens, but I I just haven't had that happen here. I have something to add that isn't by Brent and Becky's that we didn't put in the notes. Do you want to hear it? I do. I love surprises. So last year I went to um, a talk on bulbs. Uh, by Jamie Ashmore. And Jamie is a local, he's on um, Oklahoma. He's on the radio. And I think it's called the, it's called the garden party. And it's a show on at noon on Saturdays. Okay. And he's a horticulturist, a rosarian. He's a good friend. I like Jamie a lot. I respect Jamie even more than I like him. And this is what he says are his top favorite daffodils. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. You know, a lot of these. Avalanche. I do know Avalanche. I love Avalanche. I think Avalanche is a great one. Grand Primo. He Don't says know that all one. Of, he said all of these naturalize and come back over and over again. Winston Churchill, which I think is a white daffodil. And I think it's one of the ones I planted in my white daffodil group. In fact, I'm sure of it. Don't know it, so, but now I want it. Now you want it. Mm-hmm. And then Early Cheer, which I suspect is not hardy in your area. Um, and it is mm. a paper white and it's a beautiful double paper white. And our friend Elizabeth from Buffalo, Elizabeth Lakata, she loves early cheer. It's one of her very favorite ones. Gigantic star. I don't have that one. I do not. Geranium. I have geranium and it is a great daffodil. I've had it in the same spot for, I don't know, 25 years. And it's just a smaller daffodil, beautiful, stands upright, smells good. It's wonderful. Okay. And then there's Mount Hood, which I also planted in my all white daffodil. I have heard of that one. Of British Gamble. Have you heard of British Gamble? No, but now I want it. It's white with a pink cup. I knit now. You know what? I have one white with a pink cup over in my pink garden. That I got from Brent and Becky. I don't know if it's that one or not. I'd have to look it up in my notes. I do not have British Gamble. I have I have the pink cup group that came from Van England a long time ago. Uh-huh. And um, I still have some of those left. And then the last one he talks about, I really, really want, and I couldn't find it last year. It was Avalon. It is a lemon yellow with a white cup. So do I have Avalon? I don't know, but I think I need it. Huh. I think you might need it too. That's my little surprise. Well, let me go. And I'm just looking to see if I can find the notes on my pink garden. He also gave us some great ideas for tulips. 
And I bought some of the tulips that he suggested, but we can talk about those another day. Yeah, let's talk about those. Maybe we'll talk about those next week. We shall see. Well, I can't find my list of um, bulbs that I ordered, but I know I got some pink, pinkish ones over for the pink garden. And we should point out once again, and we've pointed this out before, um, daffodils with pink cups, it is a salmon-y pink, and it gets more salmon as the bloom ages. So when you look online and you see those white daffodils with bright blue-pink cups, they aren't that color. I'm just no, saying. There's a lot of things online that aren't the color that you think they are. Daylilies are a good example of that, although it's gotten a lot better. Okay, anything else about that? Yeah, I want to give a shout out to one. Well, I just have a bunch of, I'll call them yellow daffodils that probably came in a big bag sometime decades mm-hmm. ago all over the place. But um, I also have some, and I don't know what they are. I call them fried egg because they have the white with the orangey cup. So I just called mm-hmm. them fried eggs. And then I have those. Uh, Rip Van Winkle is a- I love Rip Van Winkle. It's cute. It's- um. For lack of a better way to put it, it has way too many petals, and so it doesn't really look like a daffodil. Just no, looks it looks like a, like a little lollipop, a little yellow spiky lollipop on a stick. Like it and needs its I hair posted, combed. Yeah. I posted on Instagram yesterday um, a daffodil that I grow. I, let me look up here real quick and tell you which one it is. Not that one, because I actually identified it. It is called, it's a campernel. The Narcissus times Odorus is a little tiny jonquil type daffodil um, that has five petals that really flare out in a little bitty cup. It looks great in the garden. I don't know if you can grow campernels or not. And we should say that daffodils and narcissus are sort of synonymous. Synonymous with I would say they are synonymous. Oh, yes. You're going to say with. Jonquils. And well, and then jonquils is something different, and jonquils are much smaller. And most of the time, you think of those as only hardy in the south. But I have some hardy jonquils here in my garden that up by my front walk that bloom every year. Mm-hmm. They bloom I, later. I I have some too. I mean, the campernels are a good example of what looks like a jonquil. Um, yeah, jonquils. And I might move good. mine because they're where I want to plant violas and pansies every spring mm-hmm. and so they're kind of in the way and i thought you know what you guys are gonna have to move because this is where violas and pansies are going right just move them to move them behind you know a little bit back that'd be too shady a little bit back i'll figure out a place yeah. for them don't you'll, you worry about those jonquils none of them will go to waste good i'm glad to hear that anything else that is it we are waiting for a quote to go into the most interesting vegetable segment i think we've had in a while Yes, and I'm glad you did all the research after I just watched the show about it. Never be afraid to be a poppy in a field of daffodils. Michaela de Prince. Yeah, now people think, oh, they're going to talk about poppies. No, we're going to talk about perennial <laughs> no. vegetables. Because, you know, I've had Gardener's World, those episodes sort of streaming all morning while I've been doing stuff. And mm-hmm. I keep missing where they talk about these perennial vegetables. So. I, I listened to a lot of other topics and saw some beautiful values, but did not catch this segment. This was in the winter one, not this week, but la- wasn't it two weeks ago? I don't know. They had three winter specials, and I think they added a fourth because they were so popular. So I think it was number two. So the thing we're going to talk about today is Apios Americana, Hopness, which is a vine, and it's also a tuber. 
and it was grown by Native Americans. And we chose that one. And I thought it was interesting that we learned about it on an English show. Exactly. And so I, you know, the first thing is I, I Googled it and originally you had written the genus name differently. And so I wasn't coming up with anything. I'm thinking, okay, this oh, is a weird sorry. vegetable. Well, then I started looking for hopness and I found the actual genus name, Apios, A-P-I-O-S. And then I found all kinds of information. But, you know, I, I tried to look it up in vegetable gardening books. You mm-hmm. will not find it in the vegetable gardening books that I have. Hmm. I don't have it in any of mine either. And you know what? I copied that name directly from the show. Hmm. Well, the show must have had it wrong. Well, maybe I spelled it wrong. All right. So how did you finally find it? I have a big, thick book of uh, Indiana wildflowers, and it's listed there. And then I found the hopness, H-O-P-N-I-S-S. And I finally found it in Backyard Foraging by Ellen Zakos. I, I thought, well, it's not in a vegetable gardening book, and it is a wildflower if it's edible. I count on Ellen Zakos having it in her book, and I was not disappointed. Yeah, Ellen's an expert on that. Um, and I i mean, she really, I, I never noticed that in her book. That's interesting. She starts off with saying, great plant, everybody needs to grow it. And so we'll say, great plant. You might consider growing it if you're interested in a vining plant that grows three to 10 feet vines and likes a really, really wet conditions as in beside a stream or beside a pond in full sun. Well, that's not going to happen here because it's too, we're too dry in full sun. And then, yeah. Well, I mean, the hotter climates, it says full sun with afternoon shade. I can see where it would need some shade here, but in England, they grow it in full sun. And that makes perfect sense that she grew it in that garden in England because it had, you know, it's wet there in that place. So makes perfect sense. Yeah. And Ellen says that the flowers are gorgeous and highly fragrant and they are very pretty flowers. This is in the pea family. So they look sort of like peas. And she says it'll cover 15 to 25 feet in the garden in one season. So you do want to have a especially large garden, I think, to grow hopness. So it is a really, really pretty flower. I just looked it up and it does have kind of, it's a cluster and it looks like peas kind of, and they're kind of a brownish pink. Yes. I mean, and it's probably not something I would grow, but I think it's pretty cool. It is cool. And so it is the underground tubers that it forms that are edible. And so I found some other stuff on a site called So True Seeds. We'll leave a link to them. They sell the tubers. I buy from them sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's called, they they called it uh, colloquially, they said it's sometimes called Indi- Indian groundnut. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically, it grows wild everywhere east of Colorado, they said. It looks like it's really popular in the permaculture um, group. The- The permaculture group would find it very popular. So the tubers Mm -hmm. can be steamed, roasted, boiled, mashed, or dried into a powder, which is a lot like potatoes. And they say they are more nutritious than potatoes. Higher protein, they said three times more than the standard potato. Very interesting. But here's the other caveat that So True Seeds said about hopness. 
Um, they said a percentage of the population, I'm going to quote them, a percentage of the population react to eating ground nuts, which is another common name, with gastrointestinal issues. Mm. The percentage of people affected has been reported as anywhere from 9 to 25%. If you are oh. allergic to latex, don't eat these. Oh, okay. okay. So people who can't eat bananas, mangoes, allergic Anything. to latex, all of that, yes. that group, which I am not, but um, surprisingly, because I'm allergic to so many things. And then they said, I, if you're going to cook, the cooking methods make it more digestible. Sure. And if you are new to eating this delicious native perennial vegetable. Start small. Start with a little couple little bites, see how things go. And then maybe you could do it more. Mm -hmm. So there's there more information on Epic Gardener's site. Um, it is hardy zones three to seven and hotter. In hotter areas, like we said, you should protect it from the afternoon sun. But it likes it wet, wet, wet. Fascinating. And that is hopness. Yes. Apios Americana, which I have never seen. But now that I know you would look for it along a stream or a lake, I think, where still there's a natural area. That's where you'd find this. Mm -hmm. So, and I, you know what? I don't even know what season it actually blooms in. But since it's perennial, die, to the, die down and then it'll come back every spring. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, I'm not give us some room. I probably am not going to grow that just because that would take up a lot of space. It would. Mm -hmm. And what would you do with it? So, but you're right. The people that are into permaculture and, you know, if you're looking for a vine that has edible, you can eat the, the seeds too, I think. Hmm. Well, so enjoy that, is it. that. Thanks for sending me down that little tiny rabbit hole, D. Can't it wait. It was a big giant rabbit hole with lots and lots of notes that you took. Yes. Good job. You know, and um, I have another book, by the way, um, about Native American garden culture. Uh -huh. This this was not in there. They that book seems to focus on note, no surprise, corn, beans, and squash. And so sure. um I just didn't see it in the index and in a real quick look through, but I'm sure there are books out there. How about the next quote? All right. Then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. William Woods, Wood, Wordsworth, Wordsworth. Boy, words are hard today, D. Words are hard. I, they're hard for me today, too, because I don't know. It's cloudy. I guess that's it. Yeah. So cloudy um, affects your speech. I, guess I wonder so. if there's a medical term for that. I think cloudy just affects my brain. Okay. So on the bookshelf, the first time gardener container food gardening, all the know-how you need to grow veggies, fruits, herbs, and other edible plants in pots by Pam Farley. Okay. So I looked through this and I am going to give it to my daughter, the new homeowner. Does she want to grow stuff in containers? She wants to, and she wants to have a couple of raised beds, which are just big containers. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell on her. Um, the other day she called me and she said, guess what? All by myself, I planted up that pot that's in front of my house. This is her old house that she's selling. Yes. And I said, oh, really? What did you put in it? And she goes, I don't know. I mean, I put some pansies around the edge and then I put this tall plant that was kind of spiky and, you know, it was tall. And I said, okay. And she goes, it's yellow. And I said, okay. And then she goes, you know, it kind of has flowers and they face outward. And I was like, 
I was thinking, what in the heck is she talking about? Is she talking about snapdragons? I don't, you know, for the life of me, I kept thinking. And then she showed me a picture of it. I was like, that's a daffodil, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) That's so (laughs) my point about that is I'm not just razzing on Megan. This is the book for someone who has never, ever grown anything in a container. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. And I was thinking because every once in a while I look at Facebook and these gardening groups and we take for granted, D, how much we know about gardening. But when people ask questions, you realize that they don't have the first clue where to get started. And so Cool Springs Press has these first time gardener series. Uh, They have one on, we'll put links to the others in there. I don't want to start listing them and miss any of them. Right. But this is a good one because the, she covers the size container for different types of vegetables because you want to, you know, tomato needs a big pot. Yeah. Um, what kind of soil blends to use, when and how to fertilize, how often to water, uh, where to put it so you get the best production. You know, sometimes people are trying to decorate with plants when they're like, oh, that's never going to happen there, that plant. You need to move it. Right. Because you can't grow a cucumber in the shade. Right. So you don't want to grow it. You don't want to grow it under a shaded patio. In fact, most vegetables, I would say, do not grow under a shaded patio um, because it would be harder. Um, And most of them would not produce, especially those that fruit. Maybe some of the leafy stuff you could put at the edge of the shaded patio. So to me, these things seem simple, but you know what? They are not simple because I get asked some questions that are, especially from new gardeners that are what I would consider simple, but if you've never gardened, it wouldn't no. be simple to you. And I forget I've been doing this for 30, gosh, longer than that, since I was a teenager. Yeah, don't even ask. Don't start. Don't even don't, go there. Don't don't even go there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll turn off our younger listeners when they find out we're just a couple old ladies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she covers problems and how to fix them because there are going to be problems. There's. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how many years of experience you have. Um, how to stake and how to prune. And then this is kind of fun for people. There's like, well, what should I grow? She's got some theme gardens listed. I saw those. Those are cute. The smoothie greens garden, the spring stir fry garden, spaghetti sauce garden, salad greens garden, and a couple of others. So anyway, that's, that's this new book by Pam Farley, the first time gardener container food gardening. All the know-how you need to grow veggies, fruits, herbs, and other edible plants in pots. And I think I know a, a new gardener or two that might appreciate this book. So I think I'm going to hand this to them and say, here, this will tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, start with one pot. If you're if you're about Megan's experience, start with one pot. Yes, because tall, spiky things with yellow facing out. Yeah, I was okay. like, spiky? I don't think daffodils are spiky. I Yeah, because so, you don't like spiky plants. Uh, not too much. I have one right now. Well, if you don't count the roses, they're a little spiky in their own way. All right. As it were. Quote us into the dirt. I wonder what spendthrift chose to spill such a bright gold under my windowsill. Is it fair gold? Does it glitter still? Bless me. It's a daffodil. That's by Celia Thaxter, who wrote The Island Garden. Yes, we're familiar with her. Very, very famous book. I have a gift copy of it. Really pretty illustrative version. I catalog my books, and I think that's one that I thought, oh, 
Why do I have two copies of this? One never knows. <laughs> you know, I um, I was thinking about that after I said that. Um, I started out reading gardening books that were memoirs and interesting. And I think that's part of the reasons I got into it. I didn't read how-to books much in the beginning. Yeah. Probably should have, but mm. I didn't. Okay, on to our dirt. You found our dirt, which yes. I was shocked at. I was shocked too. I, it must have come through on a marketing email from somebody, and I tried to figure out who. But um, do you know they're now selling waxed amaryllis bulbs for Easter? I so didn't know. <laughs> instead of dipping the bulb into you know red, green, and glittery gold for Christmas, think pastel blue, creamy white, pink for Easter. And it sort of makes sense. You can hold the amaryllis bulb back from blooming and then, you know. Yeah, it might be pretty. I mean, if they can get people to try it, you know, I think it's not a bad idea. And there are pink, you know, there are pink versions of amaryllis and there's green versions. And the Cybisters have a lot of colors and there are white well, I, ones. Yeah. I did a search and they had a white with pink streaks, which would be very pretty. It would be pretty. Would look. Look great on your table. You put like three of those in a row and then put some Easter grass around it or some moss. Moss would be better. Some nicely colored eggs and you're, you've got your centerpiece all done. Right. And you don't have to water it. That's right. You don't have to water it. <laughs> so anyway, that was our dirt is there are waxed amaryllis bulbs now for Easter. I don't have a specific link. You can do a search and you'll find them and I would bet that at your big box store, at your big grocery stores and stuff, they'll pop up in the floral department. Yep. And I could, I'm just going to point out, you could take white um, orchids and do the same thing. You you could, or you could actually. You could just buy those little orchids at Trader Joe's and put them up, or you could do bulbs. Or yeah, you could do, you could do actual Easter lilies. You do what I did. Yeah. You could do Easter lilies, which are still popular too. All right. Ready for the next one? I am. Couldn't you just hug it? Don't you want to embrace every single branch that bravely leafs out in defiance of the cruel winter it survived? Spring is the Welcome Back Season by Tova Martin. One of the nicest ladies on the planet. Yes. And she has and a great gardener and a great houseplant person. Yes. Tova, Tova, want, uh, yeah, Tova's just great. All right. Rabbit holes. Well, Dee, you you're your planning a road trip for your rabbit hole. I am, and I'm watching closely. The blue bonnets and other flowers in Texas, the wildflowers. And we have, Bill and I have talked about going for years and years, and I'm watching all the maps closely because 2023, after several really bad dry years, appears to going to be a banner year for wildflower seeing, showing, whatever, wildflower looking in Texas. And you can go all over Texas. I mean, there are different wildflower loops. Um, I read yesterday that the 412 loop, I hope I got that number right, that people are saying, don't go down that one because it start, there are so many people that do that one that it's starting to scare people. But down by Austin, they have them. Um, Fredericksburg, which is outside of Austin. Brenham, which is on the other side of Austin. Um, Houston has them. The Dallas area has them. So you have lots of choices and there are some maps. <clears throat> um, the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center has a whole website and one tab is devoted to watching. That sounds good. End. And you'll take so many great pictures. I will. And I will not go and walk in people's fields and sit in the middle of them 
because people really hate it when you do that because then you spoil them for everyone else. Let me just point out though, that the reason they think this season is going to be so good is they had a wet fall. Yes. That would make a difference. Almost all of the wildflowers start growing in the fall and then set seed in late spring. So if you have a good fall season, then you have really good spring wildflowers. That's true in Oklahoma too. So my rabbit hole, first of all, I went down a rabbit hole of hopness looking for that perennial vegetable. (laughs) Many twisty garden paths to find that because I went down again. It's like, it's not here. It's not there. Oh, I have it spelled wrong. Anyway, I had queued up four lost ladies of garden writing. And uh, so I did the research on two and they're in Wikipedia. So they're not really lost. They're fascinating. Very interesting Mm -hmm. characters but they're not really lost. So I got to think about whether I would include them. And then another mm-hmm. one, somebody put a big old bio on find a grave. So it's like, well, that's too easy. And the fourth <laughs> one's British. And I haven't gone down the lost ladies of British garden writing because I lack the resources to fully investigate them because um, ancestry.com, if you go outside the United States, it's a couple hundred bucks. I'm not paying that. And the newspapers.com, that's American newspapers. I'm not going into the British papers. So (laughs) I was thinking I'll just have to go back to some that I posted about like 12 years ago, bring them forward. But then I remembered, ah, Viola Brainerd Bard. I'm going to do her next. Baird. Baird. B-A-I-R-D. Baird. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she's named Viola because her father was fascinated by violets. And so guess what she wrote? I bet she wrote something on pansies and violas. I'm not telling you until next week. That is it. That is my rabbit hole. Old ladies again. That's true. Down tease. into the old ladies of or I should, shouldn't say old. Lost ladies at garden writing. <laughs> lost. lost. I see a book someday. I think Maybe. you should write a book about this. Maybe we'll see how many I come up with. <laughs> So garden commissions, we do not have a quote for, which is just fine. Um, I am going to keep my seedlings going, which, okay, so I noticed, and I'm going to put this in my zinnia post. I noticed that the zinnia angustifolias or the zinnia, the synonym is, I can't pronounce that word, hygiena or something like that. Don't use it. The creeping zinnias. Yes. The creeping zinnias. They do not like to be started inside, period. Thank you very much. Good to know because okay. I haven't started mine. I think what I will try to do, are you cold sow them or winter sow them or put them just directly in the garden? I'm going to sow them outside closer to the end of April in, in their yeah. flats and then just see how it goes. Yeah, just see. Okay. And then um, where was it? where am I? Okay. So I'm planning out, oh, I'm going to plant out another row or two of lettuce and I'm going to thin out the Shirley poppies. Yes, those Shirley poppies are up. Yay. And I read a really interesting thing about that Matt Mattis wrote about how they really germinate at a higher temperature and all that stuff about putting them out on the snow is ridiculous and all that kind of stuff because he said, I'm following the science and he may be. But what I've decided is that in Oklahoma, throwing them down on snow works so well because it's not a ton of snow like he would have. Right, right. right. And it gives them enough moisture that when they land onto the dirt and into the delicious compost, they they just wait until they're ready. 
and then they come up. So because our obviously my soil warms up a lot quicker yes. than Matt's does. Yes. Okay, so they are up and and then I need to check on my sweet peas. They are not coming up, even though I soaked them. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid they may have rotted for some dumb reason, which they don't normally you do. You sowed them so. outside, right? I did. I direct sowed them outside. In the past, I've done it every other way. You know, I've done it in the fall, not had much luck, although some people have great luck here when they do it in the fall. I've done them as, you know, the long root trainers and put them outside and that works okay. I just thought I'll just do them in place in early spring this time. So I'll keep looking at them and I might actually, because I, I sowed them really heavy. So if I disturb some of them, it won't hurt them if they're alive. Then I'm going to water my indoor plants and maybe give them a little food. And then I'm going to plant those two hellebores that are still in my front border because I can't decide where to put them. Well, you'll find a good spot for them. Well, I mean, yeah, I've got to. I have no choice. But see, that's where there's sprinklers. And so they're getting watered. So I'm not in a big, huge hurry. All right. But I mean, it's time. How well, about you? Well, here in Indiana, it's it's still cold outside. So I have pansies and violas that I planted, like I said, and they'll survive all this. Not a problem. Um, mm-hmm. The traditional day for me to sow peas outside will be next Saturday, the 17th. No, next Friday, the 17th. So I'll see if the soil's warm enough. I want it to be uh, warmer than 40, closer to 50. And if it is, I'll put them in. If not, I'll wait a few days. But we are in a cold spell. Although the temperature is supposed to it'll bottom out around 20 Tuesday morning, but the high on Thursday is 61. So, so not too bad. This morning was kind of cold and, you know, we're, we're in a cold snap too, which had to happen guys. Yeah. It happens every spring. So I I need to pot up the petunia and snapdragon seedlings, like I said, and then I did decide on my microgreens. I was sowing them with those microgreen growing pads that are made of like a fiber they just dry out so quick for me that I think I'm going to go back to soil or I'm going to have to change the setup and put it in the kitchen where I'll see it many times a day and keep watering or but who wants to water something many times a day no or you know or or I I don't know if you can keep water in the bottom of the tray that I haven't been doing but um, I've lost a couple because it's like how do you dry out so fast so I'm going to still mess around with those I'll see if I can figure something out. But like I said, the microgreens have to come out from the seed starting station because I need it for seed starting. Gotcha. So that's how my pansies and violas were. They needed to be in the ground for two reasons. One, it's getting, it's going to get too warm and they won't do right. They right. Won't perform well. And then number two, it, I need, I need the room. I'm running out of room. <laughs> oh, the problems that we have D the problems that we have. <laughs> That pretty much wraps up this week. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And please subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com. Also linked to in our show notes. It kind of elaborates on things. We can put in more links. It's so much better. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. 
Or if you want to spend your own good money, you can leave us a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.